Our New Testament reading is from Hebrews, where we also heard this morning read our assurance of pardon. This from the fourth chapter. Now I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is once again from Psalm. Here in the 90th Psalm, beginning at verse 12, continuing through verse 17, again I invite you to listen. For a word from the Lord as it is there written. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. O oh, prosper the work of our hands. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Well, this morning, as I've teased, I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before in my years in ministry, and that is to preach to the same congregation a sermon based on a text from Psalms the Sunday following their hearing of a sermon preached on a text from Psalms. Now, it's true I did not preach last week's sermon here, and many of you are glad for it, but regardless, this will be the first time I can recall back-to-back psalm-based sermons being delivered in a church that I am pastoring. In all likelihood, it is not a first for this building. In 315 years, it might not be even the first time in the 350 years of this congregation. In days gone by, it would probably have not been unusual to have at least two sermons on a Sunday, and perhaps they were both based on psalm texts. But you may be wondering, what is the occasion that warrants it today? I'm glad you asked. Part of the answer is an implicit challenge that flows out of the sermon that we were privileged to hear last Sunday from Dr. Sweetser. And part of the answer is that I wanted to share with you some of what came out of the theology conference I attended this past week in South Carolina. This morning's text happens to be one of the psalm texts lifted up by the lectionary for this day, so I'm not bringing it in for no particular reason. 
But providentially, it does, I think, speak to where we find ourselves in this moment in the church, generally, and in the church at Rehoboth, particularly. When I think back seven days to that sermon that Dr. Sweetser delivered, I recall being inspired anew by the single-mindedness of purpose that McKemmy embodied as he went about, like the Apostle Paul, spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and organizing worshiping communities and connecting them so that his efforts would be multiplied, letting nothing and no one stand in the way of his divinely appointed mission. The fruits of his labors continue to be evident and continue to feed us even today, well over three centuries later. Not only did his perseverance in the cause of the cross cement the foundation for religious freedom in the colonies that would become the United States, but his labors also forged the principle of freedom of speech that would eventually become the other central tenet of the First Amendment to the American Constitution. It may well be said that the Lord God did indeed prosper the works of his hands. If this were a lecture in colonial religious history, we could take all that in, give a, a little golf clap, and perhaps store that information away in the backs of our minds where it might serve useful one day if we happen to be watching Jeopardy. But as Dr. Sweetser invited last week, as he related some of the contributions that McKemmy made to the propagation of the faith here in the colonies, his work and his legacy did not cease upon his death in 1708 while he had begun a good conversation with the scriptures over three centuries ago, that conversation has not ended. It has continued here from this sanctuary and has been radiating outward ever since this building was completed two years before his funeral. McKinney was a successful merchant, a champion of colonial economic development, a religious fundraiser, a keen legal mind, and as Lord Cornbury labeled him, a disturber of governments. In these endeavors, it does seem that God prospered the works of his hands. In his lifetime, he amassed a small fleet of sailing vessels. He conducted trade with Native Americans and with citizens of many European nations. After passage to the New World, he traveled once again to the Caribbean and back to England and back to the colonies again. He traveled from here on the eastern shore north as far as New England, and he tried, bless his heart, to go as far south as Charleston, South Carolina. But the winds were against him on that trip, so he didn't make it past the Outer Banks. In our own region, he organized seven congregations and regularly led worship at ours and three others. He stewarded operations on thousands of acres of land in Virginia 
and he possessed a thousand-volume library, one of the largest in existence anywhere in the New World in the day. He struggled against the established colonial officials and prevailed in court not once but twice. These sorts of accomplishments are the way posterity remembers McKemmy. Christians may even attribute his success to divine approval. So we might say, that yes, it does seem that the Lord prospered the works of his hands, but for those who, like McKemmy, call themselves first and foremost followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not the measure of a man. First and foremost, Francis McKemmy was a theologian. That is, after all, what all ministers in the Reformed tradition of which he and all those who have followed him here to this Rehoboth pulpit have been. It is, as I was reminded again throughout various lectures, workshops, and sermons at this conference, what we are still called to be. The Continuing Education Workshop I have returned from was entitled the Theology Matters Annual Conference, in part because that's the name of the sponsoring agency, a publication called Theology Matters. The subtitle of this year's conference was Living in the Power of Jesus Christ from Generation to Generation. I'd like to think that that's the kind of event that McKemmy would have desired to attend. It was a meeting of Presbyterians from across the alphabet soup of today's Reformed denominations. It was PCUSA, ECO, EPC, OPC, IPC, PCA, RCA, and probably one or two more that I didn't get to meet while I was there. While we come from different branches of the family which have cropped up since the days of McKemmy, we are all united in a common calling to take seriously the Word of God and to apply ourselves to a rigorous engagement with that living Word. This was the focus of the conference because this is the focus of our work as pastors, as elders, as deacons, and as Sunday school teachers. This is our vocation as Christians to understand the Bible, to proclaim it, to teach it to this generation and to those that follow. Theology literally means God words, speaking about God. This is the primary responsibility of all ministers, whether ordained or whether not ordained, because we understand ourselves to be a priesthood of believers, all of us, each and every one of us, there are no exceptions, are called to this joyful and good work. The premise of the Reformation is that, guided by trained church folk, the people 
should have ultimate responsibility for becoming educated in the faith by immersing themselves in the Word of God contained in the Holy Scripture. So that word was translated into the common languages of the people and did not anymore require an institutional translator. That's a gift, one that we have been given by a former generation and grateful for the gift of God in Jesus and those who have appreciated and communicated that gift through the ages, we are under an obligation to continue this gladsome work of witnessing in our own words to the words of God's self-revelation in the Word. This is precisely the takeaway I had from last week's sermon by Dr. Sweetser and from this week's conference. The continuing conversation of which he spoke is the same conversation the conference was calling us to again, with renewed urgency, undertake participating in. As there are so many other conversations taking place in the world which profit us far, far less. And that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that theological conversation that we are to be engaged in is at the very heart of the past, the present, and the future of the church. The church with a, a capital C, the Catholic Universal Apostolic Church, and of this particular church at Old Rehoboth. Many things about our life together here would doubtless look and sound, smell, and taste different to McKemmy, but a passion for the gospel of Jesus and of making it known, that should be a pretty constant imperative in the life of the faithful in McKemmy land from generation to generation. In his own generation, McKemmy faced trials, both figuratively and literally, as we were reminded once again last week. He faced opposition and he faced persecution. Life as a follower of the gospel of Jesus was not an easy path in his day, but neither was that experienced by the psalmist in his day as he wrote the words that we heard again this morning. He too is writing in the midst of what sounds like a difficult season. The people had seen and experienced plenty of evil, and a cry was going out to God, When? When, O Lord, when will you begin to turn the tide? Or, in the words of a Chris Fielder in her mid-twenties, Why, O God, why is there evil still at work in the world? We, too, faced with the decline in the vitality of the church and the rising anxiety over political, social, economic, environmental, and public health emergencies often find ourselves asking that very same question. When? When, O oh Lord? And though I don't claim to have an ultimate answer to that question of when, what I do know is this. That in the words of the Apostle Paul, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, 
always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. With that as the bedrock of our communal lives together, we may contemplate how to move into the next 350 years as residents of this wonderful house of worship, secure in the knowledge that as we act in obedience to the revealed will of God in Scripture, that He will faithfully continue to prosper the works of our hands for the building of the kingdom which He has inaugurated in Christ. And for that we may truly say, Thanks be to God, and Amen.